Yo, this is John from Noise Dosage Media, and this episode is brought to you by Begrudgingly Benny. Interested in putting something horrific and grotesque on your next piece of merch? Benny is tucked away in the fiery depths of COVID quarantine, blasting the filthiest of old school death metal and drawing hideous creatures that he is waiting for you to adopt. Go over to Instagram and follow at Benny and contact him if you would like some really weird original art for your band or label. Super professional. Highly recommended. So hell yeah. What's up? This is uh, John from Noise Dosage Media, and we got Chris from Deicide. So I got a few questions for you. You ready? Sounds good, man. Okay. Um, so what grabs you in when listening to death metal? First thing, I mean, this goes back to the first introduction I ever had to death metal, and I think was hearing not only the aggressive vocal but the way the drums, if you have a great drummer, that separates good death metal from great death metal. Yep. So the, the great drummer, um, it, it really changes it all. So when you hear something that works and the, and the rhythm section works, then you can get as complex as you want guitar-wise, and it'll still sound solid and great. Right. It, you know, it's kind of funny you say that because I was literally just saying to my friend that um, the drummer is probably the one of the most essential parts in in a metal band. It doesn't matter if you're hardcore, um, black metal, death metal. That's right, grindcore. <clears throat> I actually like, use the term the 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 drummer should be the bus driver. So mm-hmm. um, as far as everything like live, I mean, and even in the in the rehearsal room, the drummer should be driving the bus. The drummer controls the pace of the song should be the one that really hears on the tightness of the other members. And I'm very fortunate to have the best of the best in Deicide. Right. Exactly. Um, The thing that I notice, like me, I'm a very, um, I don't know, like I'm not a very technical player, but I'm I'm more of those people that kind of want the catchiness, kind of like Bloodbath, how they play. Right. Um, So when I hear a fucking crazy drummer it just draws me right in so hell yeah absolutely good answer and (laughs) and a good snare i like the fucking snare yep and it has to and a drummer that knows how to tune the kit changes everything as well so that's when you really get a great snare because if he's going to go to blast beats and he can do it organically without having to manipulate it through electronics to get it to cut through that's when you know that that guy knows how to really use the snare Right. He's not, he, he's not, you know, hey man, uh, producer, hook me up. Yeah, some exactly. triggers on there. Yep. Fuck. But yeah, the old school death metal is just perfect because it's not, I don't know, the, the newer stuff, it just sounds too robotic, like it, to me. And I agree with that. And maybe it's just because of my age or whatever, but I like the more organic stuff and the crowd show it. Um, I mean, the crowds for Deicide are getting bigger and it's the the usage of actual amplifiers and, you know, using drums and actually having a great sounding kit and, you know, um, everything about it, the organic side of 
old school death metal, not only is it, I think, stronger than ever, but I think there's a new appeal towards the young kid who is looking for something, um, I guess you would say authentic. Right, exactly. And a lot of people are trying to like imitate that nowadays. I, I've mm-hmm. noticed myself, but um, so on from that question. Um, so being a guitar player myself, I always ask this, what's your ideal rig for live shows versus recordings? Um, for me, okay, that's a really good question because for, yep. for I actually kind of use the same rig for everything. Um, but I'm, this is kind of a loaded question, but you know, um, the tone is always going to be in your hands. So the mm-hmm. amplifier and the, the cabinets and the pedals, everything else is a tool to make your life easier. So everybody's different. So I use personally, I use a Mesa Boogie uh, JP2C head with two right Mesa Bo- with two Mesa Boogie cabinets, and then I have a variety of pedals um, just for you know, like a delay pedal. I use a gate on the front end. Um, I will also when I'm touring, I'll use an MXR EVH pedal. So that way I know no matter if we're doing fly dates um, to like Europe or South America, I know that pedal will compensate anything that may not be the right amp that may show up or whatever you get when you get there kind of scenario. Um, mm-hmm. I, I use all MXR pedals. I've been working with them for as long as I can remember, but they just, uh, everybody has their tastes. You know, I like it warm and analog sounding and I'll use that in the studio too. You know, okay. The only difference that I that I generally do in the studio is that I won't you obviously I won't use a Floyd Rose during rhythm tracking. Um, over the last I would say five years, I switched from neck through and set through guitars to bolt ons. I um, okay. I fell back in love with bolt on guitars, um, mostly because of that mid range punch and it and it made so much sense because years ago when I spent my time working with Eddie Van Halen, he used to say, "The mid range comes from your hands, and but you have to have that 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 neck to the body." And make that okay. punch. It'll make you cut in the mix. And, you know, a time later, I was like, wow, you were not kidding. So I fell so, back in love with bolt-ons. <laughs> Backtrack it up with Van Halen. I, I need to uh-huh. know because I got into music because of Eddie Van Halen. Um, mm-hmm. You know, what, what were you doing with him? I was, for about five and a half, six years, I was the product manager and liaison between Eddie Van Halen and Fender. So wow. when, when um, we decided to change the EVH brand, when he came on board from just doing a, uh, a Frankenstein and a head, we wanted to make it into a brand. And um, upon his request, believe it or not, I became the guy in between. So we kind of did that whole brand thing and, and turned it into something for other people, not just a signature series. Yep. So it, I it was, actually um, have... I got an EVH two by twelve sitting right next to me. Nice, nice. So. Those were there was a lot of fun. I um, wouldn't change a thing. In all honesty, I probably learned more in those five and a half six years um, about people, about honesty, about creativity, and about tone than anybody could ever do in a class. And to this day, he's still one of my absolutely favorite people on this planet, who I owe so much to. Love that right guy. Right on. You talk to him all the time? No, not anymore. Oh. We we'll text a few times a year, you know, and right. maybe even maybe drop a call every once in a while. But 
Um, it's, you know, since I've been gone from there for five years now, you know, so, you know, people are away. I'm in Florida now, you know, I'm not in Arizona or in California anymore. So the separation, you know, creates a lot of that. Damn. Fuck. Mm -hmm. I, uh, yeah. Van Halen brings me back, man. I, Mm -hmm. so my first ever performance I ever went to as a kid, my father took me, um, I don't know what tour it was. I think it was their latest album they were touring off. And I saw Eruption live and I like shit my pants as like a freaking, as like a 12 year old or 15. I don't remember. I was like, this is insane. I need to start playing guitar. Yeah. And man, it's, and he's still that great. He's still amazing. And the last time, you know, I saw him physically play, it was probably better than ever. And we have a lot of stories that we went through together um, between him and his, his right-hand man, Matt Brook, and Wolfgang, his son, Janie, his wife, and then me and my team, which was uh, me and Mike Ulrich and Keith Chapman and Chip Ellis and all that. It was just a great time. It was a really organic time, too. We were all learning on a lot of stuff. Hell yeah. Well, I got an EVH Wolfgang, the Stealth Series special, mm-hmm. and I got an EVH 2x12. So, there you go. That's yeah. awesome. It's all you need. Um. So <laughs> when it comes down to Jackson Dean or LTD, uh, right. what is your go-to? Well, I mean, I, I, I'm the product manager for Dean guitars and okay. I, I went there for a reason when I, um, and I don't talk bad about anybody that I used to work with. I mean, I cut my teeth as a kid on Jackson guitars and those guys were my first, um, endorsement back in the nineties. And they, became my friends for a very, very long time. Um, yep. But the, the organization of FMIC and me did not work out very well at the time. So I had an opportunity to go to ESP out in Hollywood. And mm-hmm. I went out there for, I was out there for four years. But in all honesty, and this is no disrespect towards anybody, I honestly just do not like Hollywood. Um, yeah. Commuting yeah, back and there forth. A few times. Yeah, man. Commuting Horrible back and traffic. Forth. Yes, the worst absolute worst traffic you could imagine. Um, and then it's just the, the cost of living, um, just doesn't make any sense. And for me, it just, yeah, it just didn't make any sense for me and my family. And, um, I was about ready to, you know, give up on the industry on this side of the industry. I'll always be a guitar player, but on this side of the industry of working in manufacturing, I was basically done with it. And, um, I get a call, um, from Evan, the CEO of uh, Armadillo, which is Dean Guitars, Luna Guitars, and D-Drum. And we started talking for a couple of months. And I finally flew out to Florida, visited the place, and fell absolutely in love. It was like that reason. And I remember what it was like all over again, what it was like to be a kid and go to a privately owned guitar company (laughs) and just feel that vibe, that rogueness, that, that American handcrafted, you know, just, you know, almost like joining a biker gang. And I signed on immediately. And for the last two and a half years, I was there and I just finally relocated my family to um, the Tampa area uh, because of Dean and because of Deicide. Um, And, and we just did it just about over a month ago. So I I was commuting back and forth uh, via plane quite often. But now that we're finally here, it's, it's great because now I'm in the office every day and I'm with my, my, my brothers in Deicide and, and it's just, it's, 
it's the best of all worlds and we get to be by the water. So that's right. great. Oh yeah. That's the best part. <laughs> um, yeah, I was, I was curious about that because I saw the, the Nam video of you mm-hmm. showing off the Dean guitars. Yeah. I was like, he, he must work for them. And then I looked on Google and then you're playing like Jackson and all this other shit. I'm like, mm-hmm. what, what's going on? No, I mean, that's, I cut my teeth with them, but I mean, literally, I mean, you can't see it, but I keep a Dean banner right over my desk in my home office where I do my recording yep. and writing. Um, I love them. They're everything yeah. that I remember a guitar company should be and the camaraderie that we have there. Um, I haven't felt it probably in my whole life since I was, you know, on this side of the industry. And then mm-hmm. to be able to have a balance where a company not only allows me to be in a band like Deicide, they love right. the idea that I'm in Deicide. So it's, uh, and everything is going to turn out. And these guys, you know, are, are the, the greatest dudes in the world to be in a band with. It's an honor. It's an absolute honor. Exactly. You know, I think the coolest part about Dean is just having that reputation of Dimebag Daryl. Like, mm-hmm. just, just carrying that company because, like, he, in my opinion, he's one of the, like, guys when i think of dean i think of fucking dying back of course and he he honestly used them without an endorsement for most of his entire career um he was never officially endorsed by the company until not you know until not too long before he passed because the company was going through transitions when elliot bought it from dean and all the craziness that happened um and then it evolved naturally so the thing with dime and and dean is that is the most honest and genuine love of a guitar brand that i've seen right yeah i remember watching that one the the house video and the camera guys walk in and do like oh a yeah virtual tour and there was this room and there was maybe like 200 guitars mm-hmm. i don't know it was yeah to, to me i was like holy shit man i've got like six that's good enough <laughs> but um right so on. My my last question about guitars is like, what do you look for when having your guitar set up or when you do it by yourself? Like, Well, the first thing I do is I have to take a look and make sure the neck works for me. I take a look at the way the neck angle uh, pitches all the way to the breaking point of the bridge. And the breaking angle is where the string goes over the bridge and cuts off the note. So I like mm-hmm. to make sure that that is a, you know, as a nice line. Some people add more relief. I keep my stuff pretty straight. Um, I keep a pretty low action overall, especially now that, um, yep. the requirements of, 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 of DSI require me to play a lot faster. And, um, I, I make sure that my fret ends are always right. And so I do almost all my own setups and okay. we do, um, I like to do them myself, but when I, there's something that I can't do, I bring it into that. I happen to be working for a guitar company. So I can bring it right into Dan Russell or Andy or Raven or any of those guys. And they, they'll take off and fix it, whatever I can't do. Right. I, anytime somebody sets up my guitar, I say the lowest action as possible because I can't mm-hmm. stand, like I'll, I'll put a quarter in between and like, that's good enough. Like, right. That's, that's perfect. But there you go. Um, you know, so when it comes down to recording, what are mm-hmm. some tips you have for, uh, keeping your tone like without like damaging it, you know, like well, with using gates and shit like that. Well, I honestly say the less is more when it comes down to the recording studio. Um, mm-hmm. Don't use any gates. 
Don't bring anything on your front end unless you really need it to push a, um, a, a level of front end gain, unless you, unless you really have to have that. I'm a straight up guitar cable into the head, into the cabinet, shortest cables possible, and pick hard. You know, yeah. so get your tuning dialed in a couple of cents flat. So that way when you're playing, if you pick hard enough, you can really get the notes for clarity and work on endurance. If you can keep your endurance going to try to make the longest pass possible without any kind of punch in, then that track will come across a lot more clean. The tone will be more consistent and the end result will be psychologically into somebody's head saying, wow, that is a great song. You know, it's right. And I learned a lot of that from my old producer, Neil Kernan, back in the 90s. So he was the one who was like, you know, he told me one time when I was a metal band in 17, he was he was like, why are you why are you um, picking the guitar so light? I'm like, I don't know. I just don't <laughs> want to break any strings. And he's like, strings are like vaginas. All right. You could be replaced. I was like, ooh, damn. That's, <laughs> you know. That's, I was like, that's I pretty hard. pack. I got seven yeah. bucks. I got seven bucks left, and I—that's I, for cigarettes. And I have to pay a seven hundred fifty dollars check to you by the end of the day. That's why. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But I mean, um, we play strings on every song, and I learned to do that quite a bit, and just you know, play it hard, man, and and keep up the endurance. It's, and that's the best way to keep your tone straight. Don't put anything on the front you don't have to. Yep. Now, when you talk about changing strings every um, song. Mm-hmm. This is a debate I have with a band locally I, ha- I help out with. They change strings for bass as well. Like, do you think that's necessary? I personally do not think it's necessary because I think the life... I mean, if you have a right. good bass string, a good bass string should hold tone for a long time. If the tone starts, you know, dying out, then you change them. Yeah, those um, freaking things are like 40 bucks a piece, 30. Right, right, of course. And, you know, not everybody has the endorsements and stuff like that to get a case of strings just to record a record. You know what I mean? So yep. it's expensive. So I, I always recommend listen to the tone. When your tone starts dying, that's when you change strings. So yep. sometimes, you know, when recording a song, the strings will sound great on my guitar for two songs. But on the third, it's starting to lose a little bit of its luster. Then I'll, you know, then I'll change them out. But I've also come to the practice that I try to punch in as little as possible. So um, this, not only do the strings last longer and I'm, and, and I'm not playing the song as long, but the tone is a little bit more consistent. Right. Yeah. Instead of freaking, you know, parts and pieces and I'll just get it done. Yeah. Right. In the first couple takes. Yep. Yep. Okay. Um, so on to questions about DSI, you know, what, what are some of the major things in the future that you're looking forward to? Well, everything. I mean, my first year and a half with the, with the band, um, has been, I mean, has been nothing less than awesome. I mean, mm-hmm. these guys, we've been friends for much longer than I've been in the band. So when I came into the band, we all knew each other. There was no real, um, uh, you know, uh, fakeness or learning each other out. Um, we learned a lot on the road together, where I learned a lot. Those guys have been doing this for their whole lives. And we get along great on tour, even in the worst conditions. We get along great. And in the best conditions, we get along great, of course, as well. What I'm looking forward to is more. I mean, right now, we're 
working on a record and it's going to be my first actual record that I, that I've been on with the band. And I'm just excited to be a contributor to this, um, to write with these guys. It is a, it's so mind blowing how creative that Glenn and Steve just dive into the parts and then Kevin's influence on the ideas. And then, you know, them accepting my ideas. It's just, it's really, it's, it's just amazing. And I cannot wait to get back out again because we had so much touring to do in 2020 that all went to the shit house because of all this crap that's going on in the world. Right. So um, it's unfortunate because we had an entire Latin America tour, which was South America, Central America, and Mexico. We had a whole U.S. run that we never got to announce, which was a really special thing. And I don't want to say what it is because it may actually happen again next year. Um, oh, and we okay. had... Yeah. So if it does happen next year, it'll be a pretty big, it'll be a pretty big noise. It almost leaked out, um, but it never did because everything got shut down like the week that we were supposed to announce it. And then, um, you know, the European festivals, those things are just the European and South American festivals are life changing. Awesome. So I'm I'm looking forward to everything. I'm looking forward to us getting into the recording studio together. I'm looking forward to us getting on the, on the road again, damn it. You know, uh, I'm looking forward to, and it sounds crazy, but you know, I have a supportive family, my wife and kids, they love the fact of what I do. They're, they're the most supportive people in the world. So when we're out on the road and we're FaceTiming every day or whatever we happen to be doing, it's, it's, it's a lot of trust. It's a lot of fun. And, the, and right. you know, my family knows that I'm surrounded by a bunch of guys that just, we do things the right way. It's very pro. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're not you're not a freaking death metal band that gets drunk on the road and fucking right. parties. No, nope. like, we're we got a business. job to do. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We got a job to do, that, that, and we people expect a lot. And me being the new guy, quote unquote, for the last year and a half, I have a lot to prove. I'm not going to go up there right. and become a sloppy idiot, you know, yeah. and and you know. And just be that uh, cliched guy that people are and getting hammered after every show and all that. It's just, it's just not, it's just, come <laughs> on, dude. crew. Right. And this stuff is, a, this stuff is complicated to play. This yeah, is hard you, to play. You can't be half in the bag playing fucking death metal. Right. Absolutely, man. Um, Absolutely. That's awesome, man. To hear your kids and your family support you. That, yeah, man. That, it's a lucky place. Exactly. Um, you know, so what was your... In- like introduction to DSI, the dudes in DSI? Um, you know, when we first met, it was through um, a mutual friend, um, Ralph Santala, who's no longer with us. So when he was in the band, um, he was on tour with him and he asked me to come out and see him. And then, you know, I met the guys even way before he was in the band back in, you know, gosh, probably like the Serpents era we met at the Mason Jar in Phoenix. Um, but we never like kept in touch. And when we met again, when Ralph was in the band, you know, Glenn and I were just, Glenn and I and Steve were just laughing and, you know, hitting it off. And I was like, man, these guys are really cool. You know, Uh, they're just really Mm -hmm. good dudes. So a little time later I was over at ESP and Glenn called me up and asked for, you know, to see if we could work on a bass or something like that. And we did it, but then we just kept in touch. So as things changed and I started working in Florida, um, commuting back and forth, um, Glenn hit me up and was like, Hey man, you should come down to practice sometime. Now that you're here a lot, you know, come down and check it out. Listen to us. I'm like, that would be awesome. 
I mean, right. A, they're, you know, the greatest death metal band of all time, in my opinion, and yeah. to be able to go down and, and jam with those guys, you know, the, the infamy that goes with it is just so much fun. So I went down and we were just laughing and, and talking and, you know, one thing led to another and there was some, uh, some things that it's not my liberty to speak about, but I was aware that there was uh, some changes that needed to be made. and. Um, internally uh and i basically brought it up to to glenn and said hey man um listen man if you ever need a guy and he's like well before you finish that sentence it's funny you bring that up and then one Ah, thing led to another so it was just it was a very organic thing um you know from the first time i met kevin we've gotten along great you know i mean there was never that that here's the new guy, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, just, fuck this new guy, dude. Yeah. So it was always, from the get-go, just a whole lot of fun. I mean, just the different personalities all seem to work. And when you're in the band, you can see why Glenn and Steve have made this last for 30 years. They right. are they're pros at what they do. They're focused. And the job is the job. And that's, you know, they take it very seriously. So before we even started trying to play out, it was um, it was a lot of rehearsals, and I really and it was like down to note for note. Steve, you know what people don't know is that Steve wrote most of the music for the entire catalog of Deicide. So mm-hmm. when we're rehearsing these songs, um, you know he would stop right in the middle of the song, and be like, "Hey, hey, you're off. Uh, you're you're. I hear you hitting the G. You need to be on A sharp. A sharp right there when this cymbal hits. Like he has this astute ear, right." And, well, you, the thing is, I feel like the thing is, if you're working with a new guy, like you got to catch him right away. Yeah. With, because if, if you let it keep going, they think it's the right thing to play. And yep. I, that's, that's, you know, with a, with personally, I've came across that myself. So mm-hmm. yeah, very um, much so. And um, it, it was also nice because, you know, with my previous bands, I was, you know, the dominant writer, the dominant um, you know, head of the head of the the bands or whatever, but here it's so nice to be you know a part of this and have it already connected and have it built and being right. a, a, a piece of this puzzle, a, a machine in this cog. It was just absolutely. It was so much different than I thought it was going to be. It was so much better than I thought it was going to be. 